connected, are we? Are we? Are we? Yes, we are. Here comes music. Here comes a radio show. Tax the rich, feed the poor, tell there are no rich no more. Love to change this whole world. It's changing right in front of our faces, that's for sure. Back this volume down a little bit. Bite me on the back end. Good morning, Roger Sales with you. Saturday edition of the Radio Ranch, and it's the, am I correct? It's the 17th of December. Am I correct? Christmas is one week from tomorrow. Yikes, it doesn't even feel like Christmas this year. Uh, streaming, of course, as we get started here on the Saturday morning session on Eurofolk Radio and uh, GlobalVoiceRadio.net. If hello, if we're still having problems out there, if we're still having problems on if people are listening live, uh, it's because Paul, our fearless leader, is in the hospital uh, from a ruptured gallbladder. We hear and. Uh, was supposed to have the operation to take it out yesterday. Uh, we were discussing right before we went on the air. Don't know about ruptured gallbladders because that could obviously be additional complications. But hopefully it's uh, in and out, no complications, and we'll find out something about Paul's condition here today or tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we just wish him a speedy recovery, and I hope you all have said a couple of prayers for Paul. Um, mighty good guy. He's the reason. His dedication, his sacrifice, his commitment is the reason we can do this this morning. Somebody's got their mic off. Could you could you hit that, please? If you got your mic, somebody's in two rooms and they're echoing back from PPN two. Somebody's in two rooms. Okay. Yeah. Somebody's you, in two rooms. Can you can, can you remove them from one of the other rooms, Paul? If you could, it's a little distracting. Thank you. Um, so anyway, we obviously wish, uh, Paul English the best and hopefully we'll hear he's home again and recuperating and recovering here shortly. Um, let's see, let's see here. Where do we go? If I was saying that you have problems on the Eurofolk radio stream, you can go over and do radio, put in your little browser, open tab radio dot global voice radio dot net. That's radio.globalvoiceradio.net and hit enter. And you should be able to avoid any of the problems I understand are on Eurofolk radio stream right now because Paul being uh, hospitalized. So there we go with all that. Good morning, all you girls and guys here on the board and wherever you may be listening live if you are or listening on the podcast later, which you probably the majority of people do. Um, so welcome anyway. Thanks for spending your time with us. And uh, let's see, where can we go today? Anybody got anything they wanted to bring up? I do. Okay, Roger, I've got something. Well, there's somebody just bellied right up to the bar right off the bat. Who we got there? This is Matt in Tennessee. Hey, Matt. Hey, hope you all are doing good today. We're hanging. Uh, I had an interesting day yesterday. You did? I uh, I got home. And I opened the mailbox. Uh oh. Now I better preface. I better preface this. I have filed my affidavit with the Secretary of State of the United States. 
I did using your format uh, with the IRS. I put them on notice, and of course, all my state agencies that I've done so far. So I opened the mailbox, and I got a letter from the IRS. Oh, okay. They send out one occasionally. Yeah. I think I've got it handled, but I wanted to run it all by you. Um, This letter, actually, there's a signature of a guy on the back. He's an account manager. His name is uh, Roderick D. Lewis. Uh, This came from the Atlanta office. Oh, okay. And this particular piece of correspondence has two pieces of paper. One is the voucher where they say if you're going to make a payment, cut it out and uh, whatever. But the letter says, Dear Taxpayer, which is incorrect, but uh, anyway, Dear Taxpayer, thank you for your or for the inquiry dated May 9th, 2022. And that's when I put them on notice. Yep. Uh, We need more information to answer your questions. Please explain your problem in detail and send us any information. Boy, this is an easy one to reply to right here. Go ahead. Yeah, it says uh, information you believe would be helpful, such as copies of correspondence or uh, notices relating to your situation. You can get any IRS forms or publications you need, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I sat down last night. And wrote a letter. Well, good for you. And I've got it right here. I wanted to run it past you before I uh, sent it certified, return receipt requested to the Atlanta office, because that's where this one goes. Uh, I wrote this. I wrote it directly to the individual whose signature appeared on the letter. Good. Mr. Lewis. So I wrote this. Mr. Lewis. This communication is in response to the enclosed correspondence from you regarding what you erroneously identified as an inquiry from me. My correspondence of 9 May 2022 was my request for the Internal Revenue Service to place my citizenship evidence firmly and permanently in my administrative file. My enclosed citizenship evidence removes me from income tax liability under Title 26.1.1-1A CFR. Enclosed, please also find the cover letter of my 9 May 2022 submission. My citizenship evidence is in my administrative file with the Secretary of State of the United States of America. Please adjust your records, your actions, and your agent's actions accordingly. I submit, I submit this to you in good faith and with clean hands this 16th day of December in the year of our Lord, 2022. Okay, good. I'll tell you what I'd put in there at the first. I'd say this is not an inquiry. This is legal lawful notice of my change of status. Ah, okay. Okay, I'd put that in there because that just pins it a little tighter to the wall. All right. But that ought to, uh, you'll probably never hear from them again. I would also, you might also put in there, I am reattaching a copy of my citizenship evidence. Okay. And you might all, and put it in there as exhibit A. And then on the top of your copy of your affidavit, write in, in, you know, black marker, exhibit A. All right, and link the two together. Okay. Attached a copy uh, 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 again of my citizenship evidence, 
And uh, then I had a phrase there, and I've lost it. Oh, um, attached to and incorporated by reference. Copy of my citizenship evidence, attached, exhibit A, attached to and incorporated by reference. Okay. Now then, you might also want to go over and grab that two pages of court cases on the website saying that citizens of the United States are federal property, and you should also possibly put that in as Exhibit B. Again, attached to and incorporated by reference. And then and then just see what they do with that. You can embellish it more, but I think you did a good job there. That'll... Uh, Put them on notice that it was an erroneous correspondence, what it really was and what your intention was with further, further exhibits, and they've got to put those in your administrative file again. So it's just more insurance. Yeah, what I've got is, a, of course, a letter I just read, and then the one a copy of the one they sent me front and back with uh, Mr. Lewis's signature. And then I also uh, uh, have... I didn't identify it as exhibit or anything, but the one that says lawful legal notice at the top, not to be construed that, as a filing. That, that's right. To administer. Right. That's the cover. And, that's the cover letter. Right. I'm including the cover letter and a copy of my and, affidavit. And you could put uh, in that first sentence that 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 it was clearly denoted on your cover letter that this is lawful legal notice. Okay. Okay. Just rub their nose yeah. in it a little bit. You can play with it. You've got the basis of a good response there, and you'll probably never hear from them again, quite frankly. Okay. All I'll have to do is get my word processor up and get that document up and make the changes yeah. Yeah. and print it out again. Yeah. This is why I I don't like to reply to these things immediately is because you don't let the dust settle in your mind and get important things in that immediate correspondence. And what all this is what happened to me a number of times, and I'd send them something immediately reply, and then a day or two later I thought, God darn, I should have put that in there. So that's the reason I wait a little bit, okay, generally. But I understand people's reaction and want to return that immediately. Well, my thinking was I was a f- – thinking potentially that it was one of those specialty contracts because no, no, in this no. letter they're calling me a taxpayer after yeah, i already uh, it, put them on notice well and you ought to bring that out too dear sir please correct your records i am not no longer a taxpayer okay 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 that'll give me something to play with yeah um it won't take me a minute to correct it. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a non-resident alien according to your designation, and I I do not owe taxes on either of the two mentioned sections. Something like that. Roger. Okay. Yeah. Paul. All right. Thank you, Roger. Yeah, man. No problem, man. I mean, uh, you know, I think I told you all the story. <laughs> Paul, I, 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 what does Paul have to say? And I'll give you my story again. Some of you heard it before. Okay, Matt, go from the top of that letter to the bottom. Take every single word and every single point that they say and anything that is incorrect, anything yeah, that's presumption, Re- challenge it. it. Yeah, rebut, rebut it. Um, years ago when I was first yeah. starting this um, and didn't know too much except the tax stuff, I had a couple 
boyfriend girlfriend that uh, were very uh, both very conservative. One of them was a Canadian. He was a chiropractor. He's he's dead since, uh, but he was a real nice guy, very personable. And uh, she owned a lab that processed blood work and stuff like that. I can't even remember her name. And uh, she was full of piss and vinegar, this one. And uh, so she took all this to heart and uh, all the stuff that we were doing back then. Anyway, she got into a a lawsuit with Equifax, you know, one of the big credit reporting agencies is right there in Atlanta. Those of you who are familiar with Atlanta, of course, know that building. It's right at the what they call the downtown connector. You know, there's two huge interstates, 75 and 85, that meet and merge in Atlanta through downtown Atlanta, and then they split up on the north side of Atlanta. And uh, Equifax is right there, what they call the downtown connector. And uh, so she got in this lawsuit with Equifax. They were messing with her credit, right? And so in the lawsuit, of course, you get depositions and uh, discovery. And so they got her in a deposition. <laughs> and the very first question they asked her was, does Roger Sales write your letters? <laughs> and she goes, I'll have you know I write my own letters. Thank you. She got real offended by it. <laughs> so uh, I've been jousting with these people for a lot of years, man. Um, anyway, Matt, I think you did a good job there. And uh, just go back and redo it. And I think Paul's uh, suggestion is very valid. And incorporate those other things. And I would make a wager here this morning on the air that you'll never hear from them again. Okay? Okay. Well, I appreciate the help, Roger. Thank you. Well, that's what we're here for, you know. And I'm encouraged some of you that have written your own letters back on this latest batch from the Consular Affairs Office. And I appreciate that. And we're still going to sit down and draft something for them. But there's just no big hurry on that one that I did for Shane on the first IRS letter we got, where they levied on him a $5,000 frivolous filing penalty, Matt, by the way. Um, he, he I, We returned that 90 days, even over 90 days after they wrote Shane. And Shane's never heard from him again. And now it's interesting. We've never had another IRS response that levied that $5,000 frivolous filing penalty. So uh, that's, I guess that's good, you know. Uh, so they recognize you're taking that club right out of their hands. But this is a pretty feeble attempt from what you read me. I mean, I, see, I can't understand what they're doing, you know. I mean, is this their last, well, maybe we can buffalo them again or something or scare them or whatever. And, again, you see how weak their position is that this is the best they've got, what Matt just read us. that That's the best they've got. That, that this counselor uh, affairs office, that that piece of crap letter is the best they've got. And, you know, Roger, um, speaking of that letter from the Counselor Affairs, you know, because I, I got one of those, too, from Ms. Robinson or whoever. Right. Um, I'm not as concerned about that coo, one. But, you know, coo, the coo, thing about it is. Cuckoo, cuckoo, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the thing about it is, is they, in that letter, actually, the way I see it, saved me from having to do a FOIA. I didn't think I needed to anyway because, you know, I submitted it with my passport and got it back. Yeah, it's in but in that, in that letter, they say they got it. 
Yeah, they did. <laughs> in essence. In essence. So, Roger. Hold on. There's just my second. foyer. Okay, well, that's good. Who, who's, who's the female trying to come forward here? When a lady I'm wants sorry to. I'm interrupt. I was, yeah, hi, everybody. This is Ella Sacramento. Okay, Ella. You're overmodulating. Um, Back yeah. off, Ella. Back off from your mic a little. You're overmodulating. <laughs> How about now? Is that better? It is. Okay, good. I turned the volume down on my phone. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I received a Dear Miss Robinson letter also, but I have never um, applied for a passport That's in my right. entire life. That's right. Well, see, this is the they blanket send that out, and evidently it's coming. Yeah. They must be taking a list of everybody that submits a naked affidavit because we've gotten several people that had not applied for passports yet that say, you're asking us to include this with a passport? No, I'm not. This is legal, lawful notice, and I'm just asking you to put it in my administrative file because that's my choice, not yours. So that shows me again, see, it's just a little indication. They're sending it to people that just submitted naked affidavits. They're evidently sending it back to people that had made a FOIA request, and they're sending it back to people that had uh, had not, in your instance, applied for a passport, and they're tagging the whole letter on, you're asking us to attach this to a passport. We can't do that. So, again, don't you see the act of desperation here? Um, it just answered my question regarding my FOIA file. So, yeah. yes, yeah. it's in my FOIA. Everything is fine. Right. And then we're going to draft a little response back to Mrs. Robinson, cuckoo-cachoo, and we're going to include, <laughs> again, a copy of your affidavit as Exhibit A, incorporated, uh, attached to and incorporated by reference, and uh, two pages of court decisions saying that citizens of the United States are property, again, Exhibit B, attached to and incorporated by reference. And uh, just to let you know, again, I'm going to tell you, I'm not a piece of government property. This is my choice, not yours, and you got my choice. What is all this crap you're sending me? At the bottom of the letter, you probably know that it states something to the effect that one does not have to reply to this letter. Well, someone someone does have to reply, and that's probably how we'll start it out. Uh, something that one does have to apply when there's misdirection and erroneous information being sent. Exactly, Mundo. Yep. But, so. um, yeah, I, I, I took it as a UPIA. I don't have to find out my FOIA well, there regarding you my right. affidavit. Well, you, it's, know one it's thing, in there. you know one thing for sure is they got your correspondence, okay? So, uh so then, and, and for people like you, see, this is my problem in regurgitating an answer for this lady, cuckoo, cuckoo, uh, is that some of you didn't even apply for a passport. Some of you did. Uh, and, and so we've got to have some way in one letter to be able to go in there and tag your individual situation, you know, and that's one of the things I've been noodling on a bit. So uh, anyway, we'll sit down and get that mm-hmm. done in the next couple of weeks and have something well, there. Well, I'm looking forward to striking back. Well, we're going to have something in her mailbox there probably to wish her Happy New Year. So just be patient. Roger? Oh, I am patient. Thank yeah, you, Roger. You're welcome, Ella. Yes, who's trying to say something? This is Bruce. Bruce. 
Um, just thinking about what they're talking about, you know, the five thousand dollar filing fee. Well, they hadn't done that since Shane. Now. Well, I'm just I'm just saying we we should turn that around on them. Well, you could if you wanted to. I've never and, taken and that and they're course. they're putting out miscellaneous uh, inform- information that is trying to. Uh, falsify our claim well they're trying to obscure and that's their intent they're trying to obscure that's what I'm saying. well they're trying to scare you obscure and misdirection and what they're right, really so, doing what they're really doing here is testing to see if you know your shit okay well see and, they they fired the first shot in the battle well we did we fired we no, fired no, the no they 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 we were doing what we were supposed to do correct they're they're coming back and trying to muddy the waters. Well, they're trying to confuse They're trying to wriggle out on the fact that they've committed crimes against humanity and their modern day slavers. That's what they're trying to wiggle out of. So we should charge and, you five thousand dollars. Well, for, you can't. You know. If somebody wants to do that, go ahead. I don't think you'll ever collect it, but if it makes you feel better, do it. Uh, their big concern right now is that when when our information hits one of these next big platforms, that's got millions of listeners. Okay, buddy, that's when they got big problems. They know it. They know it's building because they're seeing more of these come in. We heard that from the passport guy that talked to Dave in Orlando, said we're getting so many of these lately, they're having to hold special classes on the employees on how to process them correctly. Okay, that shows you right there. And then this knee-jerk reaction from them with this, I mean, quite frankly, it's a piss-poor attempt at any kind of a letter to intimidate somebody. Really? Okay. So anyway, it just shows you once again, we got these guys. Okay. We got them cold. You can see them wiggling. They're wiggling. As my mama would say, they're squirming like a worm in hot ashes. Okay. I have a question. Oh, good. Hello. Hello. Who is um, it? Who am I speaking with? Is this Annie? No, this is Jennifer. Jennifer, Jennifer? Bunyan. Jennifer. Okay. Oh, good. You're new. Well, great, Jennifer. Welcome. Where are you? Uh, I'm in uh, Sonoma County. Oh, California. okay. All right. Well, our condolences. How'd you find out about us? Um, through a group of of people that um have been talking about your method and your book. And, okay. Good. Um, yeah. We've got a couple of other folks out in your area. I think they're in Sonoma County. Debbie and I believe the other guy's name is Matt. I don't oh, know yeah. if that's I, the group. I, you know I, them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know them. I haven't. I I don't know them personally, but yes, they're in the same community that okay. I'm a part Fantastic. of. Fantastic. So. Yeah. Welcome. Bienven- As we say in California, bienvenidos. <laughs> Thank you. Gracias. Um, so my question is, um, I have a friend, she's, uh, she's, she's going to have her baby at home pretty soon. Okay. And, um, the question is whether or not to, um, get a, uh, uh, birth certificate and social security number for the baby. Well, the social security number doesn't make any difference. Is she going to, uh, she's going to have it at home. Has she got a midwife there? Um, yes, I believe so. Okay. Well, what she would probably want to do is called a certificate of live birth. Okay. Okay. And you can ask the midwife about it or some of the legal folks there. I've seen other people do that. Um, social security number is, is not a nexus to the system. They may, you know, there was a GATT, a treaty passed in the mid nineties 
called the one of the GATT treaties. And in that treaty, one of the stipulations was every child born has to have a social security number assigned at birth. The social security number is not the nexus to the system, and the birth certificate really isn't either. It just represents the condition, okay? And so what I would suggest they do is uh, her and the father together. Yes. Okay, I would have them file affidavits if they want to, and then file one for their minor child immediately. Okay. All right. So I'm a little um, I'm a little unclear though. So they would still get a birth certificate. Well, the birth certificate is generally generated through the hospital. My understanding. Okay. Have you heard the story that our friend Brian found out from to Austin? You're real, you're real new, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I had a great student, Brian Howard. We don't see him too much anymore. Uh, he's gotten off on another tangent, but he got real hung up on this birth certificate thing. See, what people have a hard time understanding is that the birth certificate is not the nexus that causes the condition. The condition is caused when is, is is verified by them assigning a political status at birth. The birth certificate represents that. Okay, so it's not what causes the condition; it's what represents the condition. Okay, and we think my teacher John Benson always thought, and I've come to agree with his uh, his idea here over the years. That because uh, they do a lot of dual duopoly stuff, they'll have the birth certificate, for example, represents a document that shows all of the stipulations of your birth, hair color, eye color. Notice they have the mother down and listed as an informant. Okay, I don't guess they have the father sign it. Anyway, here, here's the story on that. The other, uh, it's acting as a document to give you that information from your birth okay but then underneath they're using it as a commercial document called a warehouse receipt and a warehouse receipt is a very special type of of commercial document out of merchant law again they're not using admiralty law documents because there ain't none they're using merchant law documents okay and it's called a warehouse receipt you can go study on it if you want to but it's one of these things that's embedded in the UCC, uh, the merchant law, that these people understand because they've been dealing with it for thousands of years, and we haven't. Okay, It's very confusing, the UCC, by the way. And so a warehouse receipt is, let's take an example of why it does this. Back in the old days um, in, say, New Orleans, and you got bales of cotton are very heavy you know 80 100 plus pounds and they're all different okay because they're different weights and different wrappings and all that stuff they're not the word is fungible they're not fungible like beans or coins or whatever even coins aren't because they got different dates on them but let's say corn in a silo that's fungible because any corn you take out of there is like the other corn okay but with a say a bale of cotton that's not the case because each one of them are more individual. So rather than go on the docks down there in New Orleans and haul a hundred, have your slave haul a hundred pound bale of cotton around to see if you can find a buyer, they leave the cotton in the warehouse and they write a thing called a warehouse receipt. 
okay? And the warehouse receipt represents the bale of cotton, and legally, it actually, the paper becomes the good, and the good takes on a shadowy existence. And John always believed that's what they're doing here, and I'm going to verify that for you in a minute, I think, okay? So... Uh, that's what we believe is being used underneath. And what they're doing in this warehouse receipt capacity is taking that representation of you being their property, and that's what's attached to the bonds as collateral. Okay? So here's Brian's story. He had two daughters from Austin and played scholarship, full scholarship football player at University of Texas. Okay? Pretty fearless guy. And so uh, he's hung up on this birth certificate, and so he decides to pull a little a little action and go down to the hospital. Both his daughters were born in the same hospital. And so he goes up to the third floor, the administrative floor, and he starts bugging the clerk up there about this birth certificate thing. And she hems and haws around. <coughs> Excuse me. And she goes back into the... Uh, cabinet, you know, filing stuff. And she comes back with this piece of paper called the verification of facts. It's called a VOF. And on that paper is all this same information, hair color, eye color, weight, etc. And then there's a spot, two spots at the bottom where it can be signed by the mother and the father. And this one was not signed. Okay. So Brian keeps bugging the lady and she goes, look, I'm going to send you down to the basement where they take care of all this stuff. Okay. Okay. Now he's he did a good ploy. He came in with a t-shirt cut off, flip flops, and he's got his two little daughters in tow with him. And uh, he he's got a folder, and he says, "What I'm trying to do is build a folder of all of my daughters' important documents from early in their life, so in case they ever need it later on in life, they can have access to it real immediately." So that's good good ploy. Okay. So the lady finally gets disgusted with him and says, well, why don't you go down here? I'm going to send you to the basement. So he does. He goes down to the basement, same get up, same ploy. He got his two daughters. And a lady comes to the desk, and he goes, um, t- tells them what he's looking for. And she goes, uh, wait a minute. And she goes off for about 10 minutes, Jennifer. And when she comes back, the very first words out of her mouth to Brian are, you're not going to hold anything I tell you against us, are you? And so she explains the situation and the process to him, all right? So when a child is born, this verification of facts document is generated, VOF. And it's never signed by the mother and the father. Why not, Jennifer? Why isn't it signed by the mother and the father? I have no idea. Because the mother and the father are considered serfs too and since we're in the feudal system when they had that child it's considered born into servitude so the parents don't sign it see here's your here's your nexus here here okay whoever's sending me information so they take that verification of facts document unsigned by the parents and they take it over to a terminal computer terminal that's put in every hospital in the United States by the federal government. Now, they take that information and input it into the terminal, and that's what's sent over to the Bureau of Vital Statistics, and that's where the birth certificate's generated. After, if you want to, here's the proof and the pudding of everything I've told you, 
Okay. After it's generated, the birth certificate is put in a bank safe with armed guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If it wasn't a warehouse receipt representing a body, why would they put it in an armed bank safe? Okay. So that's the story on it, and I think that's the proof in the pudding, and uh, that's what's going on. It's not the birth certificate that causes the condition. It represents the condition at birth being born into servitude as a surety for this fraudulent bankruptcy. That's the game that's being played here. Does that make sense? Roger, is that Mark in all caps? Hey, Mark. Have you heard that story before, Mark? Yes, yes, that's that's goes right along with some of my experiences. Um, I had some friends who had a, a birth. Unfortunately, they had to have it in the hospital, and they basically had to escape because they kept forcing them to try to give a name for the baby, which they wouldn't provide. Right. Years later, when the daughter wanted to get back in the system and get a uh, a driver's license, um, they discovered when they were applying for a social security number, that there was already somebody with that birth date. Yep. And they named her baby girl in their last name, their family name, which the hospital had. So, but I want to go back to the, the at home, uh, live birth and add just a couple things. Okay, good. This doesn't have to be in the old days before they even had birth certificates. My dad was born at home. And they would write the name in a Bible, right? And that would be considered evidence in court. It still is, uh, still is. You, you can, yeah, and you can create because they had witnesses too, and that's the thing. So here's what I would do, just so that nobody can come back around and try to say, "Oh, you stole somebody's baby, and we're going to take her or take him." I would have two witnesses. Um, it doesn't matter if they're family related or not. As young as possible, I want somebody who's going to survive me. Hopefully, <laughs> and right, I don't want to. I don't want a seventy-year-old witnessing the live birth because they're not going to be around much longer. So I want. I want some young family members, and you can make up your own certificate of live birth. It doesn't have to be registered with the state. It doesn't have, you know, and the other thing too, the, the birth certificate that most of us are, are, you know, are familiar with, that's a federal registration. That's a federal agency. That's the, the, the Bureau of uh, Vital Statistics, if I recall the correct, correct. Department. Okay. So that's a federal agency that your birth certificate that we commonly are familiar with is registered through. So your certificate of live birth doesn't have to be registered with anybody. But there's a couple points that I would want to make sure I have on it. One, again, two witnesses that witnessed the live birth that was present. And, and hopefully they're, you know, younger of age. I would make footprints of the baby on that document. And I might put something like... Um, uh, instead of a state they were born in, I might pick the location and I might say either just say born in the name of your state without calling it a state 
like born in Oklahoma, or I might even go as far as say born in the Republic of Oklahoma. There you go. How about, how about how about born in California State as opposed to the state of California, especially if the parents have submitted affidavits ahead or of the Cal- birth. Republic. Right. Yeah. California Republic. And, and yeah. then and then also when the when the parents sign that Make sure that they list their citizenship status. Correct. That's important. That right there is important because there's the crux of their whole system here of bringing in the feudal system, Jennifer. If you're new, some of this might go over your head, okay? But we're here for you to explain stuff. Now, the next thing you can do if you ever have to produce a copy of that, and this is for any kind of document you use, you never, ever give away your original Yes, keep Never the original. Hand it over. What you do is you take a photocopy of that, and at the bottom you write I, then your name, comma, certify this is a true and correct copy of the original, and below that you sign it and you date it. That's a good idea right there. I also have a, a friend who's a, she's a notary and she's all into, you know, she's all like-minded as well. So oh, good. Would it, should you could, that be notarized as well? You could, two witnesses would be the notarization, but he's talking about an exact copy of this certificate of live birth. You could have that notarized too. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and then the other thing too, oh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Cause all um, it's doing on the notarization while Mark's getting his train of thought is the notary's verifying that the signature on the bottom is the person who signed it. Right. Okay. And the other thing too is I would probably wait before I ever, I mean, I don't want anybody knowing the exact date and time for a week or two so that uh, we had somebody on our call talked about that they had a home birth but because they posted it on facebook or something somebody ha- somehow generated a a birth certificate oh wow i hadn't birth. heard that that's crazy uh, so somebody somebody I, I thought it was on our show or on your I, show, I, Roger. I don't i don't the, remember that but it, you know that i think that would have stuck with me but roger we all, we all listen to a bunch of sources and they blur at some point yes paul yeah. Uh, the the deal was uh, hold on one second, Mark. The deal was that there was a census taker on the oh, block. That was that was Tom. That was Tom Schramm. That was Tom Schramm's example. Okay, uh, Jennifer, right. I've got a very old friend that him and I did a lot of this legal research together no years ago, and he was aware of this. Didn't want a birth certificate. Hello. They had the child at home up above Atlanta in a sub, a real nice sub. area up there called Benton Tree, a bunch of rich people's bedroom community houses. And the census taker came along that year. It was a census year, and they recorded that child's birth in the census. Later on, when when uh, Joshua, his name, was 16, Tom wanted to get him some identification, uh, and he wanted to get him a passport, and the Secretary of State would not issue because you got to go through DS-11, which means you got to have a cop certified copy of birth certificate. Well, he didn't have one. And so the State Department refused that and, and said, why don't you check with the Georgia Bureau of Vital Statistics? And he did, and damned if they didn't have Joshua registered through the census. Okay? Oh, wow. 
and it's important to know just for background color here mark was saying his daddy didn't have a birth certificate the law for birth certificates was passed in 1921 now that was right in the very middle of the first depression the federal reserve caused and the president at the time who i believe was coolidge didn't do anything and just let it run its course and it was over very quickly it only lasted a couple of years but um it was in that period of the time when they passed the birth certificate. We never had one before that. And so now that we know the timeline and what these guys have done, you can see because when they bankrupted the country in 33, they did it in the bond market. It didn't have anything to do necessarily with the stock market crash of 29. This was a bond market crash, okay? And so as they switched the bankruptcy, went through the bankruptcy and switched the systems, now we know the new system that they're putting out there is dependent on having these birth certificates as collateral for the bonds. So what they obviously did was they bankrupted it with the United States of America bonds, and those had a gold settlement clause in them. In other words, if you can't pay, you settle in gold. That's why they took all the gold. Okay? And so after that, as they bring the new system out under the bankruptcy, they're going to put out their bonds, and they had 12 years of birth certificates to attach to the bonds when they first started because from that point on everyone was thrown in mass into this condition of voluntary servitude and then birth certificates were required for further generations and they had ongoing birth certificates being produced but when they pulled the bankruptcy they had 12 years of them to attach to the bonds they were going to reissue didn't you mention that you could put birth certificate information Roger, in the inside I'm, of the hold on, hold on. Required to uh, this uh, is Mark, let me let Abram, Abram stuck his foot in there. Abram, what were you going to say? Uh, didn't you mention, I, I, I think I heard that here, that uh, people could put their child's information in the first page of a family bible and well that's, that's uh, mark that. mark mentioned that that's a been a that's still a usable today jennifer so if they've got a family bible they can register the birth in uh in fact you know brent winters is as has his own bible that he's translated been working on for 40 years and as we were talking about this one day brent went back and revised his bible and put those marriage births and death pages in his bible they weren't in there before the discussion okay so that's another thing that's very important and totally legitimately court admissible evidence today really yes roger yes can i make one can i make one comment and then turn it over to mark because mark's got great information and he's been trying to get in here but uh i would if i were your friend jennifer I would pay as much attention to keeping the birth from being registered as they are figuring out how to register it. Because a lot of midwives, a lot of people that assist in births, they are licensed or registered with the state or the feds. And pursuant to that, they may be required by law to register they, they, any birth that they that, have a party. That's a very good point. Now, the other day we were discussing this, and a word came out for a person doing this that I'd never heard before. A hootie? Was that it? Um, Duma? Duma. Duma. A Duma. A Duma. Have you ever heard of, of a Duma outside Duma. of the Middle East? A Dula. 
Have you ever heard of those, Jennifer? Oh, do that. Yeah, I had one for my home birth. Yeah. Okay, well, you might check into them because they might not be required as midwives are to do that sort of thing. So that's another area you might want to have your friends check into. Hey, Roger. Yeah. The, okay, the, well, go ahead, Mark, Jennifer. Mark, Mark in all, all caps. He's got to get in here. We'll and, finish up with him. Okay. And there's another new student waiting to get into. Okay. Well, we'll get right, there. Mark, Mark in all fin- caps <laughs> um, I'm wondering, on the census, does it nationally even have to respond to the census? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think that you should respond. I'll tell you what you should respond to is how many people live in the household because that's the purpose of the census. Right, right. It's all these other extemporary. Are you are you black? Have you ever discriminated? Do what, Mark? Go ahead. I was stepping on you. Go ahead. I don't think they're required to provide their name and birth dates. I don't think so either. I think it's just how many people are in the household is the basic information. Not even citizens. Not even citizens are required to give all the extra information. It is just the name of the person completing the form and how many adults live in the house. I think that's correct. Thank you, Paul. That's all I have. Thank you, everyone. Okay, Mirka, you were trying to add something? Oh, there's a new student waiting to jump in. All right. Well, let us get this information covered, and we'll speak with them. Jennifer, does that? Did you get a drink of water out of a fire hydrant there? Definitely. Thank you so much. Okay. What you may want to do is this: this show will be uploaded when we get finished here, and uh, you might want to pull it down and go back over it. Okay. Oh, great! So that'll be on the on the Telegram chat. No, no, no. It'll be over in the cast box little site where all the archives are. There's oh, five, okay. five years of archives over there, and you go oh. to CastBox, like C-A-S-T, CastBox.fm. It's just okay. it's just down there in San Francisco, right south of you, okay? And uh, and put in the search field, Radio Ranch, two words, and it okay. uh, should be the top of the first of listings that come up, all right? Great. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, nice to have you join us. And please, please, they have access to it. Okay. Go ahead, Mark. I said I just posted the direct link to the audio recordings and the chat messages in the in the chat section of Jitsi. All right, Jennifer. I want Jennifer. I I want to tell. I want to tell Jennifer. Welcome again, and please don't be a stranger around here. Okay. Thank you very much. And you you issue that invitation to all of your group out there in Sonoma County, all right? I will. Because you're you're right. It sounds like from the information I've gotten, you're in a real bad county out there. Yeah, and state, yeah. Yeah, and state, of course. A bad bad county in a real bad state, unfortunately. The entire coastline. Yep, yep. Thankfully, I've got a good community around me, so I feel like I'm a Okay, great. Well, you got a support group here, and you feel free to join us anytime, okay? I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Uh, Marika, who's the new student? He has an icon, because I's not. Well, okay. Um, well, let let, jump in. He says okay. He's unmuted, so. New student, you're unmuted. You got questions? Please come forward. We'd like to meet you. New student. Okay. Well, well let me st- come in. Roger, let me come in instead of the new student. All right. Is this Dave? Doing? This is Art from New Hampshire. Art from New Hampshire. 
How you doing, brother? What's happening? Well, it's nice and sunny in Ecuador this morning. Ah, we got some snow the other night, so did some shoveling this morning. But uh, that's that, that's what it's like up in the Northeast. So. Yes, yeah, so well, I know. What are you going to do? Well, I lived in Alaska for four years, so I'm real familiar with it. Okay. So how's your back? My back's fine. Okay. It's, it's my eyes, <laughs> my feet that are that give me problems, but I'm all right for my age, you know, really. Okay. That's it. Stay strong, brother. Yeah, I'll keep My trying. question, though, is, um, you know, this, this census the government puts out and they want people to, you know, they want to get information as to who's living in a particular household in a particular area. <laughs> does, now, when you find, fill out that census, does that put you under the U.S.? Citizenship tie you to being a United States citizen? You Shouldn't. Still that paperwork up? Not if you've got an affidavit in. Okay. I mean, the census is for everybody in the country. Now, they've added on to it, and they're trying to get all this additional information and stuff, but the way the reason the census was formed, did you hear us talking about this? We talked about it a little yesterday. Okay. There's two reasons the census was formed. One of them is to find out how many people are in the country. Okay. The other one is if there is a direct taxation voted by Congress, a capitation tax, the requirement for a capitation tax or a head tax is that it has to be apportioned. What that means is everybody in the country pays the same amount. And so if they did a capitation tax out of Congress, the people in Rhode Island, a little bitty state of Rhode Island or New Hampshire, are going to pay the same amount as a big state like New York or Pennsylvania. Okay? And the reason for that was a check and balance. This is, you know, people put down the founders, and you hear a lot of of that kind of talk. But this is some of the brilliance they wrote into this document. You know, taking historical evidence and their education and trying to form this into a new country that had really never been done before, okay? And this was the check and balance they put in against taxation. Because if everybody pays the same amount, which is dictated by the census, and it was they levied a $5 direct capitation tax this year, and next year they come back with a five hundred or a five thousand dollar capitation tax. Because everybody pays the same amount, people would stand up and go, What the hell are you people doing up there? So it was a brilliant check and balance put into the system as a fight against potential capitation taxes, which they known for a long time. The what's the power to tax is the power to destroy? Isn't that the famous quote by Acton? I've heard that. Okay. And, and that was yeah, the check but- and balance. See, people don't understand that. But that was the original reason for the census, that and to find out how many people were in the country. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Um, nationals don't pay taxes. Well, it doesn't matter. You're still in the country. Yeah, but it, but for the purposes of determining, you know, how uh, a tax well, should be well, balanced, well, nationals don't pay taxes. Well, we would if there was a legitimate capitation tax passed by Congress. This is the formula they go back to. But now so, everything's yeah, been right. taken over by these international thugs, and we've got, what is it, the, isn't it the first plank of the Communist Manifesto impose a, a progressive income tax? If it's not yeah. the first one, it's one of the first. Well, those guys that are in Washington, D.C., they have nothing to do with my country. Well, you know, they're all trustees in bankruptcy. 
Mm-hmm. So none of this applies, but once you get back under national status, it would. So anyway, Art, does that answer your question? No, it's not going to. Yeah, it's, it's like, a little bit uh, technical, well, but I have to go and do some more research on what well, you said there and kind of piece it together. There's yeah, a lot of information there, but well, uh, interesting and uh, no doubt. Uh, it's, it would be no different from you going and getting a driver's license because at times you may be uh, driving in commerce. And if you're doing that, you got to have a driver's license, okay? We, we want to adhere to the rules when they're adherable, all right? But when you finish that commerce and you drive home and you hang around at home and go to the store, you're not in commerce, okay? But you still had to say you were a resident to get the driver's license to perform that activities, and it didn't go back and negate your affidavit with the Secretary of State. That's the point I'm making. Yeah, you can be the agent of your of your license, right? You're all, you know, yeah, you're, I guess you're, uh, you could look at it that way. You, you could look at it that way. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask you, where, where is that vault down there where, the, where they send the uh, birth certificates to? Is that, that D.C.? Which is wherever state is it generates it in the Bureau of Vital Statistics. This particular so every state has a, a warehouse is what you're saying. Well, every every state has a bureau of vital statistics where these things are registered. So therefore, I'm sure every state has a bank vault they put it in. Okay, and it's guarded too. I mean, every one of them. Huh? That's uh, that's well. I, I, all we know specifically is the one in Texas, but you know that it overlays all the other states because that's the way they control from the top down. Now I've heard stories. There was another story early on in the shows here. We had a guy who was uh, aware of all this. He had children. They were grown, young, young grown, you know, early 20s. And they wouldn't, you know, just like a lot of kids, they won't listen to their dad, right, Art? Okay, so he's trying to tell them all this stuff. They won't listen, just like a bunch of them today. And uh, so they go and have their first child in the hospital. And they do the name. They got the birth certificate. They leave with baby, all that stuff. Well, by the time they have the second child, all of a sudden they've woken up. So now they go into the hospital and have the child, and they pull the same thing that Mark said earlier. They they, they kept saying, well, what's the name? Well, we don't have a name yet. We don't have a name yet. We can't attach a name to a birth certificate if it isn't named. And so they got out of the hospital without all that being done. And after they'd been home a week or 10 days or so, they get a correspondence from the hospital saying that the hospital had applied for the birth certificate. Why? Why, Art? Well, they want to, uh, you know, the uh, the baby, the birth certificate is going to be a debt instrument um, for the IRS. Well, it's going to be a debt instrument for the country. But the right, reason, right. It's the reason, the, like the bondsmen want the want the uh, the bondsmen want the right. uh, that that uh, well, the, the payout. I of think. That well, I think that that you just hit the answer. The hospital gets paid for every one of these they generate. Probably something like five or ten thousand dollars. Oh, wow. Okay, and so the administrator of the hospital takes it on himself to get the birth certificate because that's how he gets paid. Okay, just like all this stuff with COVID, they're greasing it and paying the hospitals. They give you more if you give them rendesivir instead of ivermectin. If you put them on a ventilator, you get more, and it can go up to some of the speculation. We've heard half a million dollars for every person they, they murdered. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Okay. Yeah, I definitely want to get. I want to get my father's medical records in regard to what was what was Medicare paying the hospital. 
So they so grease get, everything on the front end by paying everybody to do this stuff in money that you're the collateral for because of the system. See, this is the root of everything what we do here. This change in status is the root to their entire game, folks. And you I know I know it's complex. I know there's layers of it. I know you gotta have your brain cells working again. I know it takes a little work on your part, but this right here is the essence of their whole scam. That's how important it is. That's why they're pussyfooting around it with all these damn letters people are starting to get. Because they've been caught slaving, and it's the whole basis of the entire fraud. That's it. And you, you know, if you have a if you have a legal counsel, right, or you want to represent yourself in regard to your birth of your child, is there any way you can go in there and block the hospital from taking any money off the top of that certificate? You fill a file. Well, yeah, have it. Have it. Hey, you guys aren't getting your cure at all. Well, you shouldn't ha- get nothing. Have have your children at home and go through this other process. How you cut them out of the deal? Now, I think, too, Mark, you still with us, Mark, all caps. Um, isn't there a QCIP number at the bottom of that birth certificate? Have you seen that? Well, not not specifically a QCIP number, but I think it's linked to a QCIP number. Probably is. Now, why is that important? Mark, why is that important? Well, your, your QCIP numbers are... Uh, tied to financial instruments that are traded and held as, as assets. Okay, let's let's be a little bit more specific. The QCIP number is the number that's attached to the bond, so they can route the payment to the correct bondholder. Yeah, it's like an authentication number. Okay. So, you see, if we could ever get in the bowels of the treasury and find out what QCIP numbers are associated with bonds and who owns them, we could go back literally and pay the legitimate bondholders. And then any of these creeps, like 40 to 50% of the bonds, the United States bonds are now owned by the Federal Reserve. We could go back and null pros payment for those on fraud and leave them hanging with the bonds. But we got to get way down the line before that could happen. Got a quick question. Okay. Hey, if Who's, you're not talking, please mute your microphone. I mean, listen, the ambient noise is incredibly distracting. These are very complex things we're talking about here. They do require concentration, and the folks that that want to come on, I welcome you. Please try and adhere to the protocol. This is very complex stuff. I want everybody that's taking their time to be with us to be able to absorb as much of this as possible, and you can't do it when all that damn ambient noise is happening. Okay? Who was trying to say something? I was here. Hey, Roger. Hello. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, This is Jersey Mike. I'm friends with uh, Joe Lustica. Okay. Well, good for you. You (laughs) You must be doing something right. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, um, I have a couple of questions, but I don't want to take up anybody, anyone else's time here. But um, well, hold I, it. This, this let me ju- hold on just a second, Jersey Mike. This platform is for people like you in questions, so everybody learns. Okay, so don't come in here thinking you're taking somebody else's time. If you're new and you got questions, you're important to us. You're the reason we're here. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Um, 
So my first question is, is have you ever heard of someone named David William? And there's a reason I'm asking is because I came across some of his information recently regarding income taxes and whatnot. I'm still learning about a lot of this stuff. So my opinion tends to sway back and forth. And I get the impression that a lot of the things that are being discussed when it comes to being a national and filing the affidavit and doing an ROE, he, it seems, and I haven't fully researched this yet on, on his, all his stuff. It just seems like he kind of denounces a lot of that stuff as frivolous tax arguments and uses what the IRS has to say about that. And I wanted to know if you know about this guy and never if, heard of him. Okay. All right. Yeah. He, uh, he runs what he calls a lawful tax avoidance consulting agency. And uh, he talks a lot about, you know, how it would appear that, you know, filing an ROE and, and all this sort of stuff is not the way to go about it. So I'm just like, oh, my God, like, how, how does this even work? You know, is there really truly any way out? And um, I asked him about the uh, construction of title aspect for Title 26. And he goes, that's irrelevant. He goes, the uh, IRC code from 1939 and uh, 1960 and 1986 were enacted into law. And Title 26 is just a um, a compendium of all the tax law that has been previously well, enacted. First of all, this, like, guy, this guy hadn't done a lot of research. The, what you've said so far that I would immediately react to is all those other, yes, there were income tax codes in 39 in there, but the one they use is the code of 1954. That's still in effect today, okay? Mm -hmm. If your friend there goes back and traces back regulations, you know, you can go into the Code of Federal Regulations, and at the bottom of a regulation, if it is a an update from a previous regulation, they'll have the previous regulation at the bottom in brackets, Okay, and if you trace back all IRS regulations, they all end at 1954. First of all, secondly, you need. Are, are you in communication with this guy, or are you just looking at his information? I just started looking at his information. Okay. I made well, a couple he, of posts does, in, in, does, his, in his Telegram group, and right. he goes, "You're you're citing um, uh, already. Um, I forget what he called it, like uh, debunked tax arguments. Okay, yeah, debunked by who?" Um, if you go oh, back, you might want to, well, you might, and a lot of those arguments are frivolous. Okay. But right. if you, if you go back and learn about regulations, do you know anything about regulations, Mike? No, no, I do not. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a quick course here. The regular, okay. the administrative state grew out of the bankruptcy. There were no agencies before the bankruptcy and they're there to service the serfs or what we call public policy. Okay, you've heard that phrase, public policy? Yes, I have. What is it? Um, I could not give you a definitive answer. It's man-made man, it's man, it's man laws on unelected bureaucrats in the form of regulations to control the serfs. That's what okay. it is, okay, public policy. That technically, when you file an affidavit, you're, you're now a private citizen. You're not a public citizen. Okay. Okay. Well, so there, there hold on, hold on. Let me. Oh, I'm, let me finish, please. Okay. Because okay, this is no important, no important information for you and everybody else. If you don't know this, all right. So the administrative state started building up out of the bankruptcy, and they didn't have a rule book until 1946. 
they couldn't ever get this what all the stacking of the supreme court by roosevelt and all that stuff was about was he there was a bunch of old guard there in the supreme court who were fighting this new deal uh effort and this change and he couldn't overcome them because they didn't have any rules for the administrative state and so uh that went all the way until after world war ii it's called the apa administrative procedures act and it guides all of the administrative state's activities this is a rule book okay it's in title five section five five two and following that's the administrative state administrative procedures act in that they laid out the types of regulations because not all regulations are equal okay there's three types of regulations one is called a statement of policy that's nothing more you've heard of the federal register yes that's the legal organ of the federal government all regulations are posted in the federal register daily okay there's three types one is called a statement of policy that's simply a statement by the agency on some of their policy all right it's got no binding effects except policy internally the second group is called an interpretive regulation and that's doing nothing but interpreting a regulation internally for the agency the third type of regulation is called a substantive regulation and they are separated if you go into the federal register you'll see them and they're very different because substantive regulations have what they call general applicability that means they apply to everybody the other two are interagencies regulations okay remember the case here recently in florida with the cdc where the mask mandate got thrown out that's because it was an interpretive that's what the grounds that that decision was on was that was an interpretive regulation it did not go through notice and comment with general applicability it was only for cdc employees yet they enforced it on everybody okay now this notice and comment regulation this substantive regulation if you'll go in the federal register you can see this okay and when they first post it it'll say in big bold letting a heading at the top notice of proposed rulemaking and then they state the regulation they've got a person to contact at the bottom and you've got so many days to contact them with your comment now we're talking due process notice and the right to be heard so due process is incorporated into substantive regulations all right so then they'll take all the comments they'll go back supposedly and rehash them and they'll reissue the regulation and at the very top heading in big bold letters it says notice of final rulemaking and it states the final rule and it gives you a time and at the end i forgot if it's 30 or 60 or even 90 days but there's a time limit that even after the final regulation is posted they can't take effect on it for that many whatever the days is okay now i tell you all that to tell you this there's never been an irs regulation that went through notice and comment they're all interpretive interagency regulations. So all of these regulations that this guy is telling you that none of them have any bearing because none of them were notice and comment. So what does this tell you? The, in, the income tax is totally voluntary. Hmm. 
Okay. All right. Does that make sense? I know that's a lot of information for you. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to re-listen to it once the episode is Well, I had somebody recently, I was going over that recently, and somebody heard the recording and went to the point of writing me an email and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for explaining that. Okay. Okay. It's very well, important. Okay. So, and no regulations go back past 54. You can trace all those regulations back. They all stop at 54. Now, why is that? Because it, it, when they when they did Brown versus Board of Education and made the two statuses equal to overcome Jim Crow, remember separate but equal in Plessy in the 1800s, they had to overcome that. They had to make them equal, and that's what Brown versus Board of Education did. They didn't tell us that, but that's what they did behind the scenes. And as I was st- coming to the understanding of all this. And 54 kept bugging me, 54, 54, 54. And I went back and checked 60 days after Brown versus Board of Education was decided was when they put the 1954 revenue code in place, period. That's the one we're still under. So now my next question is, is can someone get in any legal trouble if they file an affidavit to become a national while having a current tax liability no no because you can the feudal system you can volunteer out at any time there was only one stipulation and i asked john about this when he was still alive and when i was first coming to understand it okay and i asked him was there if you're volunteering out of servitude is there any stipulations any requirements and the only requirement was that if you'd been given consideration when you entered the condition or the contract, consideration is a very important part of contracts, okay? If the Lord of the Manor had enticed you or induced you or given you any consideration to enter into that condition, whoever volunteered out had to repay the consideration. Okay. So Which how would is, that work? Well, it wouldn't work in our application here because you don't, you don't have any. They didn't give you shit. They used fraud to put you into the condition from birth. Okay. So if I were to file an affidavit of, uh, to become a national, uh, what would that mean for me and my existing tax liability? Well, I, to my knowledge, nothing. You, you know, and it's a, gr- a gray area. I don't know. Some people file it and halfway through the year, and they don't file for that year. Technically, well, the, th- the whole thing's voluntary anyway, you know. See, we think it's a requirement, but it's voluntary. They've hidden that quite skillfully. But there was a, a guy with ATF that was in front of Congress years ago. It's... Y'all, I'm sure some of you have seen this. And he said, your, AT, your alcohol, tobacco, and firearms taxes are 100% mandatory, but income tax is 100% voluntary. Okay? And so here's what they do. They put the teeth in the system at the back end. Have you, have you ever had any dealings with these creeps, Mike? In, in what way? Uh, up close and personal with IRS. Like you yeah, have on file. Okay, well, you probably got some friends that do. See if see if this resonates with you. Everything I've done is through a CPA, so they've had Okay, all right. Them. Well, so if you don't file, then the, what they do is they start sending you a series of letters, okay? There's, they've even got a booklet internally there 
where they have a list of the letters and the number of the letter and what they are. There's about a series of three or four of them. Have you ever seen that booklet, Mark? That book of, of, of internal letters from the government, from IRS particularly? Okay. I uh, no, I have not. Okay. Well, I saw it years and years ago, and I got a few of those letters, and that's why I remembered. But there's a series of about three or four of them. They send you at the front end there if you haven't filed, Mike. Oh, yes, I have seen those. They have like a, what was it, like a CP519? Something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. That are boilerplate. Right. There's some designation. And this is the one that you always get first, Mike, or your friends. We have, hey, dear Mike from Jersey, we haven't received your tax returns for the year 1919, 2019, 2020. If you've already filed this, then disregard this notice. And if not, we might ask you to come in and bring some of your books and records. Have you ever seen any of those or heard about people getting them? Yeah, I actually got um, a, a notice of intent to levy in 2020. Oh, well, that's way uh, past that letter. This is the first yeah. opening salvo. Well, intent to levy is a 90-day letter, okay? You can go to tax court or we're going to come after you. Well, the first one they send you and the way they get you there is this first one that I just kind of went over with you. Now, what John always thought is that that is another one of these tricky little commercial documents called a confirmatory writing. Mark, are you familiar with confirmatory writings? Have you heard us talk about that on here before? No, I have not, Roger. Okay, well, you'll find this very interesting. I'd, I, I'd, uh, you could go do some research on it, okay? A confirmatory okay. writing is another one of these specialty contracts in the UCC. There's a whole section in the UCC called specialty contracts, statute staple. The stat, who's, uh, I don't know where that noise is coming from. Please try and hold the mic still, okay? This is important information right here, folks, all right? Um, this is another one of these specialty contracts out of the Uniform Commercial Code. What else is in that specialty contract? A 1040 form. It comes out of there, too. Okay? And this is one of these little contracts. It's called a confirmatory writing. And if you go look at it, it's a writing between merchants where both merchants are apprised to know the contents of the writing. Okay, and what John always thought, and I, I never found anything he thought that wasn't correct. Okay, and is that this specialty contract is a contract between merchants where if you don't expressly deny the contract in writing within ten days, it's considered to be agreed. So what happens when they send you that little letter? is most people, probably what you did, Mike, is throw it in the trash can. Oh, you told me it was a voluntary system, okay? Well, when you throw it in the tax can, trash can, you don't reply back to it, and now they've got you in a contract at the front end of a voluntary system. Okay? Now, where they put the teeth into it, and this all comes from my teacher's hard work, okay? Glenn, the surviving teacher. And I could go into the story here, and maybe if you want to hear it, we can, okay? Anyway, Glenn got so disgusted, they had a doctor out in San Diego who'd been hit with two counts of failure to file. Glenn, knowing all of this information, the legal and the background, the feudal system and stuff, crossed paths because of me with a guy named Michael Ellis who had gotten all of those IRS internal booklets where they have the codes and stuff. 
and, and a lot of people were doing that years ago. And so we put them together, and because Glenn knew the system and this guy had the codes, they figured out what they're doing. Okay, And they'd used it as a defense for this doctor in San Diego who had two counts of failure to file. They found a law firm that would enter all the documents. Glenn produced all the documents, and the law firm represented the client. So what they – and what the, he kept telling me, he said, this is what got him so damn disgusted, okay, is there's a push code called push code 09. That's internal from IRS's internal documents. And push code 09 is where they stop the computer's processing because the computer in Martinsburg, West Virginia, is programmed correctly. And part of the correct programming is you have to have a 1040 form filed. If you're a failure to file person, they don't have one of those. And so they stop the computer with push code 09. And that's where they insert what's called an SFR or a substitute for return. Or in the parlance of the Patriot community here, they call it a dummy return. Okay, So they stop the computer with push code 09. They put in a 1040 for you. Now there's a 1040 filed, and the computer can go on to assessment and collection. When they got into this case with this doctor, the government would not come off of push code 09, even under, either, even under discovery and interrogatories. They wouldn't come off of it. They wouldn't give them the information, okay? Because it's, it shows the whole system's fraud, okay? And so they lost at the district court level. They took it to the Ninth Circuit, and they lost at the Ninth Circuit. At that point, Glenn just walked away from all this because there's no remedy, okay? Well, we've got a remedy, all right, with what we do. But that that's how they put the teeth in the back end, if you haven't filed, is push code 09, Roger, I'd like to add to that. Yeah, Mark. Uh, You know, I work with I I work with Dan Metter, and we saw everything that you just described. The other thing that they do, uh, Pat Patton wrote a book: IRS liars, thieves, thugs, cowards, and hypocrites. And in Pat Patton's book, he explained how there's an assessment requirement. So you have to be involved in some type of activity mm-hmm. that is taxable, right. like uh, maybe you're manufacturing ammunition. Right. That's a taxable event. Maybe you're building um, steamships. That's a taxable event. There's there's certain activities that the the revenue generated from that is taxable. And what we've found, they started breaking down the codes like you were kind of referring to that push code 09. There was, now it could be wrong on what it was, the designation, but I believe it was called the IMF. Every, yeah. every person that's in that tax system, they have the, that code. In, in, and they, right. you know what, you know what that stands yeah. for? You know what IMF stands for there, Mark? No, in, I don't recall. In individual master file. Okay. There you go. So in that individual master file, the IMF, you're coded and they have to code because just a, a individual person in themselves, there's no code. There's no tax code for that. So what we started finding is when we started asking for that and we got a, a breakdown that would tell you what those codes meant, 
people were registered as a pharmaceutical company or as a insurance company. Foreign insurer. Well, pardon me. A foreign insurer. Yeah, yeah. So they they were all they were falsely uh, represented as some other activity that required taxation. So I think that's very telling as well. It is. It, is. it goes right along with the whole fraud. And I, we did a lot of that research years ago and came back with some of those bogus designations too, Mark. And I'd forgotten about that, so I'm glad you brought it into the discussion. Yeah. So, Mike, now that no, we've thoroughly – let me just check with Mike here. Mike, now that we've thoroughly confused you, what questions do you have? <laughs> well, I appreciate the information. Like I said, I'm going to have to re-listen to a lot of this. But I still kind of find myself unsure of what to do necessarily Like, because I would like to file my affidavit to become a national. Well, but I'm just not sure what to do as far as the tax stuff because – Well, here's uh, – tw- you know, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. That's okay. I was just going to say 2018, uh, my company made a, a fair amount of money. So, of course, it got the attention of the IRS. 2020, I was sent a notice of intent to levy. Uh, here is 2022. And I got a letter from the IRS saying that they had assigned my overdue tax account to a private debt collector. Okay. Well, this and- is from 19, 2018. So this is way water under the bridge. You reference your company. Now, are they dealing with your company or are they coming after you an individual? Well, my company is a, is an LLC partnership. All right. Uh, it's a 1065 partnership that's re- that's uh, submitted as a return first, as far as I understand, right. and then the 1040s are submitted after that. Correct. Um, all of the uh, signatures that were given to our CPA for them to file were done by my father uh, prior to his passing in 2021. Um, so I he he's been the CPA has been talking about doing an offer and compromise with the IRS and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know what to do here. You know, do I become a national? Does that get me? Well, out? It's, of it? No, it's not um, going to get you out of that. Okay. <laughs> and you're talking about the corporation. You're not talking about you. Well, I, I get the letters from the IRS. Of course you they, do. They, they use the all caps name though. <laughs> but are they addressing them to you or is it addressed to the corporation? It's addressed to me. Okay, these are personal stuff, all right? Now, what will happen with you when you file, should you, is that your corporation can still represent your business, okay? But because an LLC like a subchapter S is a pass-through corporation, the profits will be passed to you, and you won't have any tax obligation. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I understand it to be, where, like, the company... You won't have tax obligations as a national. If you've got 871, 877B, yeah. Okay. One thing I'd like to add to that, um, if it were me, I would be wanting to put all my personal property over into a irrevocable private family trust at bare minimum. And then that way, whatever the IRS attempts to do, they're not going to be able to attach your property or put a lien on your, right. on your real estate or uh, take your cars or anything like that. So, right. now, me you personally, know, I, I want to protect. I want to become uncollectible. Right. You want to. You want to be where the you got nothing, nothing hanging out. Okay. And a lot of, in the old days, in the nineties, old days. 
uh, a lot of the patriot community were using trusts as a tax vehicle or attempting to. And this when the IRS came down on trusts, okay, and said the trust is a person, all right? But a trust technically holds property. It's not a tax vehicle. But you could change the total structure of your, of your LLC into a trust, too, okay? But those are some things you'll have to explore, Mike, Okay. Okay. But now back to your question about halfway through the year. Let's say, well, right now we're at the end of the year, so it's a very good time to do that if you've got those kind of concerns or questions. And I don't honestly know the answer to the question uh, because my feeling is that this is so sensitive to these people that if they have that little bit of money hanging out and they know you'd made this change, they're not going to come back at you because they don't want to risk this information getting any more light than it's already getting. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's my suspicion. Okay. But you're right here at the end of the, you're right here at the end of the calendar year. So if you are considering this, this is a good time to do it for that reason. If you've got concerns about it. Now, who was trying to say something? This is Mark in all capital letters. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing you might consider doing there, we, where I used to work with, we, we help people in various situations. One of them was they were facing similar taxes and so forth. And, and then what the, what the company did was they, closed their doors, filed bankruptcy, and then they reopened in a similar name under a different structure. A different entity. Yep. They changed. They they moved to a totally different bank, add all new different numbers, identification numbers, tax identification numbers for banking and so forth, and they very strategically closed their business and wound it down and reopened almost with identical name, but it was different. Now in their situation, it was just an office environment. So they even moved their office. There was no ties to their old business. Oh, nice. May or may not be able to do that, but that's what they did. They sidestepped the whole thing, filed bankruptcy, which you're allowed to do, including on those taxes. Now, the only tax that you can't file bankruptcy on is if you have like a sales tax, because that was money you were holding that you owed, or employee taxes that you were holding. It wasn't your money, and that belonged to the state and to the feds. Um, But if it's a income tax owed by the company or – a person or individual, those potentially can be bankrupted. Hey, hey, Roger. Well, there's Gary. Good morning, Gary. Let me reiterate that a U.S. citizen, upon leaving the District of Columbia, becomes involved in interstate commerce well, as a resident. Probably true. That's in Hendrick, that's in Hendrick versus Maryland, S.C., Reporters Road, 610 to 625, 1914. So, therefore, you are in commerce just by being a U.S. citizen and claiming to be a resident of your state. 1914 was before they pulled the trigger on the bankruptcy. 
Exactly. And that was citizens of the United, that citizens of the United States then were true Jim Crow people. Well, the point I'm trying to make is if you're involved in interstate commerce, then they have the right to tax you according to the Constitution because they can tax and regulate commerce. Yep. I think that's what Article Four. Yep. Well, they've kind of uh, they've kind of thrown their arms around taking more of that authority in too. But yeah, you're right. Okay, so when you don't rebut the presumption and you check yes to being a U.S. citizen, you're agreeing with everything. And you're agreeing for them to tax you. You're, that, you're giving them the consent to do all this to you when you answer those two questions, yes. Okay. And now, in, my, US versus, in U.S. versus Slater, 545 Fed Sup, set 179 to 182, this is in 1982. Unless the defendant can prove he is not a, a citizen of the United States, i.e., U.S. citizen, the IRS has the right to inquire and determine a tax liability. Right, right. Now, that's a real important quote right there, and that comes off Copper Moonshine still. And I thank him for finding that and putting it up there. Unless the person can prove they're not a citizen of the United States. How do you prove it? There's only one way. Submit an affidavit to the Secretary of State. They don't tell you that in the decision, though, do they, Gary? No, they don't. So, Mike, so are really, you are you like thoroughly confused now? <laughs> uh, no, I'm 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 tracking with what you're saying. So it sounds to me like really the affidavit is the only solution. It is the only. It's the only solution. That's why they've hidden this. That's why they're so freaked out that somebody figured this out. They never expect mm-hmm. anybody to figure it out. And well, that's saying that's stated back in Colonel Houses correspondence that they found in Woodrow Wilson's papers where he lays all this out. He said, we will make them sureties for the debt by instituting the in, the ancient pledge. What's the ancient pledge? That's the oath of fealty into the feudal system and voluntary servitude. Okay. And then at the bottom of that, he says, well, if anybody ever figures it out, we've got plausible deniability. Oh, no, you don't. There ain't no plausible deniability here, Satanists, Sabbatean, Zionist slavers. Sorry. What was the Slater citing again? Gary, you want to give that site? That's a real good quote for you to put in your back pocket, Mark. Gary, you still there? Yeah, Roger. Hang on. I'm, I'm trying fed, to shave. It's a, oh, you're shaving. Okay. Uh, it's something to do with Fed Sup. I know it's a, which means it's probably an appellate level decision. U.S. U period S period versus Slater S L A T E R five forty five Fed Sup one seventy nine one eighty two and that's in nineteen eighty two. That's a real, real. That's a real meaty site right there. Did you get it all, Mark? I, I did. Thank you, Gary. I'm going to look that up. I've been whenever we cite cases, I try my best to look them up and then put a link in the chat box. Good. Thank you, Mark. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back to shaving. All right. Don't cut yourself. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so, Roger, uh, hold on. Um, 
Go right, ahead. Right. Well, hold, let's make sure these voices are getting confused. Mike, what, was that you trying to say something? Yeah, I, I just wanted to know, so does the affidavit to become a national effectively rebut this contention that the IRS puts it, up on their frivolous it, tax arguments page where it says well, taxpayer it, is not a citizen of the United States and thus is not subject to the federal correct, tax laws. Correct. Correct. It rebuts. The whole thing is run on presumption. The presumption we went over earlier in the show, this birth certificate thing, the presumption that your parents are citizens of the United States because their parents or their parents were put into the condition in 33. And in the feudal system, if you volunteered into servitude, future generations were born into that condition. That's why they're using this. Okay, because they could put somebody in it and every every generation that's born is born into the same condition, but they can any of them can volunteer out from the original volunteer in condition. Okay, so that's what you're doing when you're filing this affidavit is you're volunteering out of this fraud. And the presumption is that we had a fraud. We had a bankruptcy and that's a, a presumption of law. If you go look in the law, in the legal dictionary, it's a presumption based upon another fact. Okay, so they're taking and fraudulently instituting a fact, the fact that the country's bankrupt that they did behind the scenes fraudulently and threw everybody into this condition. And it's the feudal system and everybody born in in subsequently was born into the condition. So when you file the affidavit, you're volunteering out of the fraudulent condition you're in. That's a presumption based on a fraudulent bankruptcy. That's why they got to recognize this. And if you'll get your arms around this presumption law thing, everything they do is presumption. How they push everything, all this gay stuff and all the rest of the crap, excuse me, all this sodomite stuff and all the rest of the crap that's going on, they always push, 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 don't they? It's on presumption. It's on presumption. It's all done on presumption. And they'll continue to push until somebody stops, stands up to them and stops them, and that's what the affidavit does. Okay. Yeah, I find it interesting that they hold as a contention uh, this line here. It says the quote unquote United States consists only of the District of Columbia, federal territories, and federal enclaves. When yep. In their own code, that's basically what it says. Yeah. Yeah. You can go back to the revisions of the Internal Revenue Code after Hawaii and Alaska became a state, and they pulled them out of the federal state listing. Yeah, it's just wild stuff. I mean, they cite some they cite some uh, relevant case law about that whole idea of being the United States being separate from the constitutional republic. But it's again, it's in their code. Oh yeah, well it's in it's in the statutes and the and the legislation too. Have you uh, has uh, um, Joe turned you on to the certificate of non citizen nationality? Yeah, like I've seen some of his videos. I, okay. I, I've I've listened to some of your podcasts, and um, I, I've been on the uh, state travel.gov website and I've, I've read the the affidavit line that you cite on your right, website right so it's all it's all connected well here here at the, on that document in in the document it says according to the ina all u.s citizens are u.s nationals but only some nationals are not u.s citizens right well there's the american samoans 
everybody else is in that dual equal capacity all u.s citizens are u.s nationals now if you go under that document they've got some oratory down there and they pull some stuff from legislation and one of the sections says a national owes total allegiance to a small less state well there's your state national right there the the formula for jurisdiction is protection for allegiance allegiance for protection that comes from the feudal system okay and so if you owe total allegiance to a small less state then the reciprocal agreement agrees the small less state owes you protection protection for allegiance allegiance for protection there's your state citizen okay notice is small less state if you go down another couple of paragraphs they give you the federal states and they're all capital. Yeah, and I find it interesting that they don't define what in a small s state. Of course, is of course, they're, they've got they're going to all kinds of links to not describe it. <laughs> That's what yeah. this whole letter's about that we've just gotten. You know, really, but there it is, right there in their own document, in their own policy document, coming from their own legislation that they cite. But you see, if you don't know it's the feudal system, if you don't know the formula for jurisdiction and how it operates, if you don't know all that other stuff, you're going to read right over there and never see it. Yep, and that's their whole intent. Of course, it's their intent. All right. Well, I mean, if you if you don't think that. Uh, someone such as myself in my particular situation would not get flagged as a potential tax evader by filing an affidavit to become a national then i don't have to do it i don't believe you'd get any backlash from them and the reason i say that is because we've been helping people do this for 12 and a half years and nobody's ever gotten that happen to them okay all right now on your corporate taxes it might be best because of the condition of your father signing, your father being deceased. You may want to go back in and do an offer and compromise with them. Get yourself a clean slate, file the affidavit, and move forward. Okay, so you're saying, um, well, first of all, I just want to correct you on one thing. I, I don't technically have any corporate taxes because it is an LLC. So, like you said before, it's pass through. So, correct. My brother and I are responsible for all the quote unquote income taxes. Okay. Um, so I could file the affidavit and then just do the the OIC and then go from there. Yes, you you want to clean up this back stuff would be my thinking on it, Mike. I can't, you know, these are just areas I don't have concrete answers for, honestly. Okay. Okay. But if if, if you were in the condition, you didn't know better, see is it is there an awful lot of money involved? Um it's less than 50,000. You know, go in and go in and beat them up on an offer and compromise. Stroke them a check, get a slate, clean slate, and move forward. Okay. And and after filing the affidavit, um, is there any advice you can give in terms of dealing with my CPA? Like, should I tell them, like, well, look, I filed as a, uh, as a national. It's been over 30 days. It hasn't been rebutted legally. I'm not a citizen anymore. Like, You want to probably bird dog your CPA. You got a pencil? Uh, yeah, one second. You probably okay. want to bird dog your CPA to 26 CFR 1. CPA. Yeah, 26 CFR, that's Code of Federal Regulations, 1.1-1 uh-huh. 1. 1 small a. Okay. 
Okay, now that's the IRS's jurisdictional statement. Are you familiar with it? Uh, I have read it. I don't have it committed to memory. Okay, well, it's very simple. It just says an income tax is owed by all individuals who are citizens of the United States or residents, and to the extent of 871B and 877B, all non-resident alien individuals. Now, when you sit down and you talk to your accountant about this, the very first thing that you want to ask him and get agreement to is this question. There's only two statuses. You're either free or you're a slave. Do you agree with that? I'm writing this down. (laughs) There's only two statuses. You're either free or you're a slave. Is he going to agree with that? Probably. Now you take him to the jurisdictional statement and you say, these are the slaves. The only thing this can be is a free person, no matter what they label it. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. And there's your national right there. And the way they're using that, Mike, is non-resident alien. You're non-resident to the residency of the 14th Amendment. And your state citizen national status is alien from the federal status. That's how they're using it. Yeah, yeah I, I can want, definitely see. You want to talk about some tricky son of a bitches? That right there. <laughs> yeah. It's like they had to include it, but they had to shroud it in mystery. That's right, because this the key to their whole deal is right there. Because what's the key to the whole system? The tax system. That's the only way they can get the money to pay the bondholders. That's why they went to all that trouble right there. Yeah, see, I used to think that um, the taxes collected via incomes were to pay back the International Monetary Fund. Well, they are, but indirectly. Okay. Because it's the bond markets that support the whole global financial system. You know, as I'm, uh, you, let's take the stock market, an equity market, and the bond market, a debt market, Okay. Stock market just up there above you in New York on Wall Street, they got all those big buildings and big corporations and manufacturing plants and distribution plants and all that other stuff, don't they? Well, that represents the equities in the stock market. But the bond market is five to ten times bigger than the stock market. What what represents the bond market? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't really know too much about the bond market. Well, I'm going well, 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 to well, tell you what supports it. They're collateralizing you through this birth certificate and collateralizing your future income, and that's what's extracted by the IRS to pay the bondholders their coupons that belly up the money to run the damn country. <laughs> that's amazing. That's the system. You know, oh, right. they, they leave an obje- an adjective out of there. You see, when they call it the system, what they need to identify it is as the feudal system, because that's what it is. Who was saying, hey, Roger, there? Uh, it's me, Ross, from Minnesota. Hey, Ross. You new? Uh, not really. I've been sending you some emails. Okay. I'm the one who sent you the one about the uh, listening to Sarah's and showed oh, okay. um, giving it to my buddy. And I just sent you one on Thursday about the assumed name. 
Yeah, I probably hadn't looked at it. I've been sloughing off of emails the last couple of days, so sorry if you hadn't gotten an answer back from me. Well, uh, well, no, I wasn't expecting one. Um, uh, Mike brought up something that I was wanting to ask. Um, how long do they have to rebut a uh, affidavit? Well, technically, I don't think they got any time at all. <laughs> you want to put a few days, a little simmer time in there? Uh, we well, suggest. On, well, yeah, we, sorry. Well, that's okay. We suggest people wait 20, 20 days or something. They're never going to respond back because they can't. Because it's your choice, not theirs, and you're putting forth your choice to do be this and not the other. And that's your choice. If it's not your choice, they're open tyrants. So you're never going to get a reply from them. And the most feeble thing they've done is this latest one, uh, which doesn't reference that. It kind of in, in, insinuates that you've, that you've asked them to attach this to an existing passport, which none of us have. Okay. So anyway, Ross, how how what what other questions can we help you with? Well, it's just I've been seeing it for uh, ten days. Is uh, the legal is what I've been seeing. Well, it, it depends. You know, if you're in a lawsuit, you might have twenty or thirty days to respond. It, it can vary. Okay, but I, yeah. I I think it's good to let it at least simmer for tw- three weeks or a month. Well, it took them ten months to send me. A uh, a Kelly Robinson letter. Oh, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, so I sent her back saying, you know, quoted her a website and gave her all that and told her my my affidavit stands because it's been too long. Good. Good. You handled it. The other other question I had was uh, because you mentioned it a couple shows ago about uh, um, saying your parents are non-residents or or citizens i should say well you're talking about on the passport application on ds11 yeah correct well uh, unless your my parents, parents is canadian so okay I, I well you could no yeah you should say no on that yeah. one and the other one was probably under this presumption just like everybody else has been frauded in it and the reason i say that is because i do know that they take passport fraud on application very very seriously Okay, and so that's why I advise no people not to lie at all on any of this stuff. Now that got brought up because Copper Moonshine still has this other process, and he tells people to put no, they weren't U.S. citizens, and that just gives them something to argue on. Okay, right. But now, right. Are, again, are they not doing that? even though he instructs them wrongly because they don't want this information brought into any kind of a public forum. And that I don't know. Right. No. So that, that was it. And, uh, the other thing was, uh, the reason I sent you the assumed name, I forget who was talking about it, but well, we've uh, had several of those name change things around here. Well, it's not a name change. It's claiming your name. And because you claim it, they can't use it. I don't know anything about that, quite frankly. Well, that's why I sent you the information so you could go over it. Well, I know. It's just like I don't have time to go over all, all this stuff people send me. I'm sorry, you know. Um, oh, no, no problem. It's just a video anyway. Okay. Hey, Roger, I think I've heard that that works in, in English common law in, in England, and in that uh, what they've done is they've had 
basically they've created a name and submitted it for children. And then when the state comes and takes children out of their home, then they say, hey, you know what? Uh, I've actually transferred this name to a family friend and they're in possession of the actual name. You've kidnapped someone. These children you've taken, you are uh, on the hook for uh, trafficking and kidnapping. And they release the, the children okay. ASAP. Well, John Smith, know. John Smith over there is putting out a common law birth certificate and evidently has had a lot of success with it. So what does that document do? <laughs> it rebuts the presumption that the birth certificates got you in as a surety. Oh. It would seem like to me that that's the operation that's happening there. Everything's done on presumption. What you've got to do is rebut the presumption. You can either do it preemptively like this affidavit does, or you can confront the actual situation like Sarah did in Colorado. Hey, Roger. Yes. This is Carl from Oklahoma. Hey, Carl. Um, I, f- I found a, a USC, uh, 8 USC Section 1401, Nationals and Citizens of United States at Birth. Right. So we're not really claiming to change our status to nationals. We're just claiming that we're not a citizen. Correct. You're rebutting the fraudulent presumption. And, you know, Brent brought it up yesterday. This is, see, Brent, for years, man, you guys don't know how we had to work on Brent. I'm talking about four or five years. Okay, there'd be shows on Friday where me and Daryl and Chris would all gang up on him, you know. I was I'm not that I was born that way. Well you were, but you were only born that with those rights for a nanosecond before they slapped this fraud on you. So technically you're right, Carl. Well well this is what it says is that uh the the following shall be nationals and citizens of the United States at birth a a person born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof it goes right, through that, uh, right from a to h right hey Roger, yeah. i don't know if that the argument that uh uh winters was making is valid given the whole justification they have for abortion is that it doesn't have political rights or status the baby Correct. uh until it's born so Correct. you know he he was never born with those rights well you know that's a very interesting point abram because if you do come out as that statute just said if you do come out of the womb with both of these equal statuses then the national you should have been protected in the womb but they're they're going to override any of this stuff and play their games you know right but but for the argument that's legitimate to abort so what the babies I've, in the womb, they don't have political rights because they haven't been assigned this due to the 14th Amendment. That, I think it's fraudulent. I don't think, I mean, any logical person could, would, would it's, I guess, uh, so inconsistent morally that I don't think anyone, you know, but that the law doesn't work like that. Well, it's because they got control and they're going to force it and do all this illegal and fraudulent stuff to achieve their agenda. But technically, I'd never thought about that before. That's very interesting, actually. Yeah, it's all about it's all it's about a, the money. It's a fine, fine line. Now we're going to always defer to the female. Yes. Yeah, Roger. This is Joan in Arizona. I just have a quick question. I don't have any children right now. They're all gone. But um, people that are having babies and they're wanting them to murder their babies, you might say. Why are they wanting them to do that if they're making money on the bond part of it? 
because, because there's I, a depopulation agenda that they're going on right now, and that's why they're crashing the uh, the system, and that's why they're crashing. You know, because they they're done with. They can always control the financial system, as we've seen, but they can't always do blood sacrifices to their to their creator. All right, he's gonna call me. Thank you, Roger. Just wanted to say thanks for your time, my friend. All right, well, thank you. Somebody's wondering who's calling me here. Oh, please. Yeah, hi, Roger. Hello. Hello, dear. Um, this is Ella again. It's going to be changing the subject. I wanted to wait to the end. Um, uh, I don't know if anybody is up against this, and I've been diving into it, ID.me. Um, uh, I have wanted, uh, I've been trying to get into my unemployment uh, on the website, and you can't get in unless you go through facial recognition. Now, I am going to call Monday and find out um, their next administrative step to unlock my uh, UI account. But this is also going to go into if anybody's going to collect Social Security. And, I, you know, I think I'm going to collect it in two years. But I wanted to give some glimmer of hope. If anybody is having a hard time getting through to unemployment, if you register with um, a career center in your area, most likely they're going to have a direct line so you can get into and file for unemployment without, I spent two days trying to get through, uh, eight, eight hours, 16 hours trying to get through to file for unemployment, could not get through. But I'm registered with the career center in my area, so they gave me a number. And the gal called me back, and she can connect you directly into claims. You don't have to go through all the rigor remote. Okay. This ID.me, I personally am not going to comply with facial recognition. Although, you know, we have been, you know, up against this in Walmart and so on and so forth. But this is the real deal. And... Um, oh, another thing, another red flag that I get from this, because I tried to get into my unemployment um, uh, uh, site where I used to be able to do this easily and file online. They have been contacting me via email trying to coerce me to get my ID.me finished. Okay, coercion. So I have a phone number for ID.me, and I am going to call Monday and find out what the next step, administrative step it takes so they'll unlock my account. And then furthermore, I'm thinking that I'm just going to, you know, probably in the future, I don't know, I have to find out, but send an affidavit indicating that this is the real and true person, whatever the case is. I'm in the file, have been in unemployment and Social Security and so forth all of my life. You have my real and true information. Okay. I don't know if they want a thumbprint or not, but I'm not going to comply to facial recognition, which they do. You will have to go through a video chat with um, an unemployment person, and you have to be on this chat for at least 10 minutes so they can cue in your face at all points. 
So you could just open up and get into your unemployment uh, uh, account. Uh, but I've looked up the uh, website and looked into all the agencies that IDME is connected with, and one of them, of course, is Social Security. So that's something I've been chewing on. Um, after I saw Smart Cities, you can get that up on BitChute, it really raised red flags about this IDME thing. Okay. So if anybody wants to see Smart Cities, go to BitChute. It's an eye-opener. All right. Hey, Roger. Yeah, better hurry, Gary. There's a whistler. I just want to point out that uh, connect the dots with this interstate commerce thing as U.S. citizen, and that is that's one of the main reasons they can tax you, one of the main reasons they can require a driver's license, so forth, so forth, et cetera, is because you are in commerce, according to the Supreme Court. And the other thing, if you've ever had a driver's license, especially in the last five or six years, You've already got facial recognition. If you've got a smartphone, you have facial recognition. I know. Well, I have a dumb phone. Okay. But that's okay. You know, I'm still in the system, have been forever. Well, we're all, you know, we're all in the system. They just recognize us as being out of, out of their system and untouchables. Like, like the untouchables in India. Nationals are untouchable. Sarah's recent experience proved that. Any of you that might doubt that still? So there's the uh, ending stanza of our uh, show. I'll turn it up so you can hear that. And uh, we will be on the Sunday shows tomorrow, I guess. Uh, And uh, then we'll be back here on Monday. So, uh, anyway, anxious to see you. I'm going to actually watch the Argentinian team in the World Cup Finals tomorrow. I think it ends just when I'm finished with Thumper. So, hmm. anyway, you guys have a great day. Good show today. We covered some really good ground. We had some great new folks on here. Welcome. Don't be strangers.